Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts, I'm Michael Futter. And I'm Amanda Farrow. On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is episode 146. Somebody call a doctor! GameStop's still hemorrhaging money. Oh no! Yeah, because we didn't see that one coming. All right, before we get into this, we have something super serious that we need to talk to you about. We never have anything serious to talk... Wait, this is a business podcast. We sometimes have... Wait. Your, your glasses are stuck on your sweater. <laughs> I want to talk honey, about honey, it. Honey, honey, you're going to pull it. You're, gonna, you're, getting a t- you're getting a pull. Oh. Oh, open, open. Oh, no. That's all right. You fix. <laughs> We're leaving this. <laughs> We're not leaving We're leaving this. this. So we we have some news, and some of you will already be aware of this, but those of you who don't follow us on the social media and who aren't in Discord, this is going to be news for you. Uh, Amanda and I have accepted and started in new jobs. Uh, Getting a job was not on my bingo card for this year, man. It was was not. We have been hired on as co-directors of Robot Teddy's Strategic Partnerships Pillar. So that sounds really fancy. It is really fancy. Like, it's, it's definitely it's like the prob- fanciest job title I've ever had. It's a hundred percent the fanciest job title I've ever had, and I've had co-founder and yeah. founder yes. as my job titles yes. over the last like fifteen years. So, what we're doing at Robot Teddy, we're not talking about it a ton yet. We'll be talking a lot more about it in the new year, but we have already started working with eh. Robot. I've sort of started Amanda's working. Amanda's part-time. I, I've been full-time for a month as of today. Amanda has been part-time for almost as long. She's starting full-time after the new year. So it's been a lot. A lot of learning. We have a wonderful team at Robot Teddy. We like, really I do. I love our team. I can't wait for you all to meet them uh, through one way, shape, or form. We're going to be traveling. Uh, you're going to see Amanda and me and some of our colleagues at uh, a number of events which we'll talk more about we'll talk next more, year. We'll talk more about that. But the, the important thing here is we want to talk a little bit about what this means for virtual economy and what this means for F-squared, our business. So first off, virtual economy is not going anywhere. You're stuck with us. Yes. Oops. The cadence <laughs> that we've been on for the past couple of months is probably where we're going to land. So we'll probably have an episode every couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, just work is really, really busy. We hope that it calms down. Maybe we can get back to it every week and a half, not recording on a regular day that hasn't been a thing for a while just because (laughs) our schedule has been like all of 2022 our schedule has been bananas uh as for f squared uh we are putting most of the company into hibernation we're not closing the company that's a pain in the butt yeah no we're not doing that but besides we just finished paperwork (laughs) we did we just finished paperwork long story uh we are not we also are allowed to do our side projects uh as a millennial who am I without my side hustles, it's, but a miserable pile of secrets? It's true. As many of you know, Manda has written the first of six books that she's contracted to write. Mm-hmm. And we'll continue writing those books with Dr. Rachel Coward. Um, you're also going to be continuing on with your other super secret project. Yep. I, it's very secret. It's not even announced it's so secret. Yes. And both of us are going to continue on with Strange Scaffold, working with Zolivir Nelson, we really have loved the opportunity to work with Strange Scaffold, help deliver some of Zalavir's games to the world, and there are m- many more coming. 2023 is going to be so amazing. It's going to be a packed year, man, so buckle up. It's it the is. year of Strange Scaffold. So we're really excited for all of the wonderful people we have gotten to work with. 
that we'll continue to work with. In terms of uh, some of the other consulting we've done, I mean, some of the some of the people that we've worked with have already kind of transitioned over because they had they had relationships with Robot Teddy and. Now we get to work with them in a different capacity. Uh, others, That's cool. you know, we are, you know, hoping to work with again in the future as we get our feet under us at Robot Teddy and, you know, see what opportunities exist. But the future is bright. We're really excited. But the most important thing we need to say right now so that we don't get yelled at <laughs> to the one person listening who knows, who knows, uh, who knows this. Uh, so the podcast is, these are our opinions. This is our analysis of what's going on in the world. Uh, this does not represent uh, Robot Teddy, and it certainly doesn't represent Robot Teddy's parent company, Thunderful Games. So, uh, if you have things that we're you just want, a couple, we're of just a couple heads. of people. Like this is this is still our podcast. Um, this is not yeah. This is not a Robot Teddy podcast. This is not a Thunderful podcast. This is a well. I mean, it means that the bumpers got to change. So I think that Mike and I are going to have to like figure out what well, to do during no, the break. Maybe song and dance. F squared. F squared still still exists. Yeah, but we're not actually doing the work in F squared anymore. Have you sure. listened to the bumper? <laughs> oh yeah, we're gonna have to change that. But we're not changing it for this episode for the sake of getting this our season finale out the door. This wasn't originally going to be the season finale, but yeah. But we looked at our schedule and we're like, <laughs> especially no. if we have any hope of writing our annual trends piece. Oh right, yeah, we have that to do too. Yeah, but that's not something that we're gonna be looking at until the, until the break. Maybe we'll publish it towards the very very end of the calendar year. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's an after Christmas thing. It, it is. So, let's dive in. First up, GameStop's third quarter earnings. Thank you for calling GameStop, where you can pre-order a financial disaster. This is Brosif. Let's game. <laughs> I can't give her any more juice, Captain! Yeah. <laughs> uh, GameStop continuing to defy reality with its, with its share price. Because and not defying gravity, because that's a great song. Yeah. But defying actual reality... By whatever the heck is going on there. Yeah, we're all going to make it or something. I don't know, man. Uh, net sales are down year over year. I don't feel good, year. Mr. Stark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Net sales are down year over year from $1.297 billion to $1.186 billion. Whoa. GameStop has finally managed to curb its spending, bringing selling general administration expenses down to $387.9 million from $421.5 million last year in third quarter, except this is a larger percentage of sales, actually. By 0.2%, which is why you got to look at it. They're like, hey, we brought our spending down. Okay, but yeah, but compared to to your sales, you're still about where you were. Yeah. Um, So this key metric shows that things haven't improved cost-wise. In fact, they're slightly worse. Yes, you brought the raw number down, but not as your percentage of sales. We'll see what happens in Q4. Because um, that's, that's, ho- that's the holiday quarter. I feel like based on where they were after holiday last year, it's going to be ugly. Speaking of ugly... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, inventory was down from 1.41 billion to 1.31 billion, but at that scale, these might as well be the same numbers. Yeah. Right. Uh, net loss slightly improved year over year, but GameStop still bled out nearly 95 million dollars in the quarter. Oh, what are they doing? Also, this is worse than Wall Street expected. It they, and GameStop missed revenue by 160 million dollars. That's a big rev miss. Yeah. So obviously, Wall Street's like. You know, we've been saying this for a while. You are overvalued. And and the meme bros are like, what's up, everybody? Diamond hands. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mike's apparently taken over as the director of mouth farts. Director of mouth farts, yes. It's the second fanciest title I've ever had. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, net losses for the year are up nearly 55% to $361.3 million. This how? is ugly. This is not a startup how? company. It's like, do they know how to run a business? Uh, how does one even well, the business? Well, suggests no. <laughs> no. No. Uh, but here's the really bad part. None of this is extraordinary loss. This is all loss from operations. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, so before we continue, though, just in case folks don't actually know what extraordinary loss means, sure. can you define that? Sure. But not in term sheet. Ah, uh, slurry. Gross. Yum. So when we talk about an extraordinary loss, this is something where it's like, hey, we had a one-time write-down or something like that. It's not right. something you'd ever expect to see. It's re related to a one-time event that is unlikely to ever be repeated. So that's when we say extraordinary loss, we mean really outside the scope of the company, like any kind of concept of what normally happens in the company. This is all operating loss though. So it's not even stuff outside operating. Like for instance, um, uh, foreign when exchange, right? Or when like Paradox had to write down like millions and millions and millions Sure, of when they dollars. canceled a bunch of games and refocus. Yeah, that's an extraordinary loss. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so that's not good. The business model is still clearly broken. <laughs> what? Okay, but wait, wait. It's his eye, wait. Captain Obvious. <laughs> he put his hat on and everything. Yeah. It's nice. I um, have a mask and a cape. No capes. Tights. No capes. My underwear's on the outside. That's really unfortunate <laughs> for everyone involved. However, I really, I really do want to dial into that that sentence. Yes. Or rather, the phrase. The business model is broken. That's a sentence. It's There's a, a sentence. period at the end. Okay. Perhaps an exclamation point. Not a question mark. <laughs> Michael. Yes. Tell me true. Yes. What the fuck is the business model? Do you know what it is? I, Do I, they know what on. it is? Let me read this. I have this in my notes. Thank you for calling GameStop <laughs> where you can pre-order a financial disaster. This is brosive. Okay, so the answer to that is no. The answer to that is retail, right? There, it's a retail video game store. When we're looking at the, the percentage of revenue for publishers tied to digital is like 90% or higher. Okay. So yes, that, but also Funko Pop. does, does GameStop know what their business model is? Uh, yeah. To compete with Amazon. Duh, Amanda, haven't you been listening to this podcast? I'm going to fist fight Ryan Cohen. <laughs> Watch out, folks. She's in a fist-fighty mood. <laughs> you take the girl out of Canada, but you right, can't but, take the Canada out of the girl. I mean, they, remember they like put their name on an esports arena, and they tried to pilot new store ideas. I mean, listen, as I, I did do analysis on what it would take to really create an interesting GameStop mm -hmm. store idea, yeah. and it was to turn it into the FLGS, the Friendly Local Game Store. Sure. Right? Uh-huh. With tabletop. Uh -huh. It's a blockbuster idea. I'm going to fist fight him after this. See, I told you. <laughs> fine. I'm going to stop. I, I don't... Fine. No. I mean, no. But no, the, re the reality is I... Yes, there are a lot of good ideas. And some of those pilot stores that, that they were Rebecca cool. Valentine wrote about... Yeah, they were the cool. ...when she was at Games Industry, right? Yeah. They were, they were good ideas. But the reality is it all hinges on people wanting to go into a store with the... By the way, the GameStop brand is utterly tarnished. Yeah. Yeah, I don't go into GameStops. I used, well, okay. I used to go into EB Games mm -hmm. in Canada, but I hated going in there because for the most part, I was often the only woman and like the dudes would take it as an excuse to hit on me or be condescending. Like, yeah. I, I mean, on, on top of it, there's the labor issues at yeah. GameStop. And like, 
It's just ugly. It's yeah. bad. But that's not the worst part. Uh, there's more worse parts. There's yes. more worse parts. Because remember for that very brief time in GameStop's life where they had a relationship with um, FTX, which is, I don't know, the cratered crypto exchange? Uh, yeah. So the coolest thing about that, first of all, the founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, was arrested in the Bahamas, I believe. Yeah. And, and is going to be extradited to the U.S., on top of that, apparently there was a group chat called something like wire fraud amongst them. It's like, I'm going to give you, I'm going to get real close like Manda does. I'm going to give you a little tip. Don't joke about that shit. Seriously, never, ever like, oh, it's funny. Our group chat's called wire fraud. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because eventually, eventually you are going to fuck up in such a big way where that will get used against you. Even if it's, even if it is harmless, the optics there, very bad. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't you do it. So anyway, that that ended, and uh, the company has reportedly laid off people handling its blockchain wallet and staff in its e-commerce product and their engineering departments. Yeah. Um, I guess that's one way to cut costs. But once again, GameStop, at the end of their call, provided no forecast. Great. And took no analyst questions. Because they recognized the analysts aren't their market. Anything they say, any questions they take from analysts are only going to hurt them. Oh, yeah. Because the analysts are going to be like, "Uh, uh, my first question is WTF. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, my second question is, bro. <laughs> uh, uh, they did me. say, though, uh, and this is not a quote, but I'm paraphrasing. We're really crossing our fingers and hoping for profitability in the near, near term. So shucks. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, we, we're, we're, we plan to become profitable again. How? Is essentially what they Tell said. Tell me. Show me your plan. Well, they won't because they won't take analyst questions. Oh, my They're God. They're not going to investor days. They're not doing any of that stuff. They're just, they're just hoping that the meme, the meme wave keeps... Like cresting straight to the moon, huh? Yeah, straight to the fucking moon. Yeah, I hate that. So this all is this all is great. If you have stock in GameStop, I'm gonna get it. I would simply just get out now. Yeah, stop waiting for it to go back to the moon. It's not gonna. Yeah. Anyway, so that was ugly and yeah. a disaster. Yeah. And an ugly disaster. Yeah, the money was made. It's time to go. And closing uh, time. You don't have to go home. Okay, okay, but you shouldn't stay here good thank you it's real good i appreciate that you know what we should do instead though instead of talking about GameStop, what should we talk about we should talk about npd for Yay, november NPD. we love talking about npd and we love matt piscatella we do so let's talk about the u.s video game spending report for november of 2022 and first up oh good news good news everyone Consumer spending is up. For the first time in months, we've seen a year-over-year uptick. November 2022 saw a 3% growth. Now listen, it's a small growth, but it is significant. Um, Over November 2021, reaching $6.3 billion. Michael, you are five years old. Stop it. Move on to hardware, you goober. What? I'm five, everybody, but show, so is she. Um, hardware drove growth with a 45% jump over last November, reaching $1.25 billion. Non-mobile subscriptions, so not Apple Arcade, accessories and digital premium downloads also grew year over year. Uh, PlayStation 5 led hardware in both units and dollar sales. Switch was second in both measures. And PS5 leads the year in dollar sales, while Switch leads the year in unit sales. Switch still holding on to the unit sales. Yep. All right, let's talk about software. Michael, <laughs> why are you like... Season finale, baby! <laughs> Smoke bomb. Let's talk about software. Content was down 5% to $4.74 billion for the month. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 led the month yet again. 
God of War Ragnarok debuted at number two. Yep. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet debuted at number three, or as I like to call them, Jank and Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon Jank and Pokemon Oof. Uh, again, uh, because this is Nintendo published, uh, digital sales are not included in the rankings. Sonic Frontiers debuted at number four, which, I mean... People seemed like... People seemed to kind of like people it. People see It was one of those games where it's like, I have no idea why I'm playing this. I don't really like it, but I'm stuck on it. You know those games, right? I have, yes. Yeah. There's lots of games I play yeah. that are like that, that are just like brain worms. Yeah. Weird. Madden it's 23 weird. dropped from number four to number five. FIFA 23 dropped from three to six. NBA 2K23 climbed from number eight to number seven. Gotham Knights unfortunately slipped all the way from two to eight. Spider-Man Miles Morales jumped from number 39 to number nine on the back of the PC release. See that Miles Morales scaling that wall. Pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Mario Party Superstars also jumped from 47 to 10. Was it a discount? A fever dream? I don't know. This was a, this was an interesting one, though. Honestly, it's because the holidays are coming. Yeah, and people because are like, what people am I going to play like, with my fam? And not everybody wants to get weird and drunk with their parents and play Jackbox. <laughs> Sometimes they want something more wholesome. Nerds. <laughs> Uh, other notables in the top 20, Tactics Ogre Reborn debuted at Ooh. number 17, Horizon Forbidden West returned from number 40 to number 19, and Breath of the Wild also reemerged, climbing from number 36 to number 20. Would you say that it has a new Breath of the Wild? Oh, yes. Yeah, people, Breath people of the are... Wild breathed into it, a new life breathed into yeah, Breath of the Wild did. into it? Yeah. Did it but five? Yeah, five. <laughs> five. Got him. It's the new three, everybody. It's the new three. Point P. <laughs> Point P. August. This is terrible. Why are we always just memes? Wait, don't answer oh, that. Oh no, we've become those podcasters. No. We've become our son. Oh no. Who is just made of memes. Yes. And Mexican pizza. He everybody would... for Christmas by Gabriel Mexican pizza from, from uh, Taco Bell. Please don't do that. He won't eat it. He will. No, he won't. He loves it. No, he doesn't. He loves it. Stop it. Okay, go on. Let's talk about mobile. Yes. And not point P. Point P. <laughs> it's been a long week. Amanda, it's only Wednesday, you say. No, it's not. Don't lie. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Casino games did well in November, leading genre categories for the first time since September of 2020, when we were all playing with our lives anyway. <laughs> Casino and action and tabletop were the... Yes, he did. I'm not laughing, though. I del- You know what? Sometimes that can be the street, man. Sometimes. Casino, action, and tabletop were the only categories to show growth. RPGs and shooters definitely struggled. But here's the problem. Thanksgiving and Black Friday did not help. Spending was down 5% year over year and 1% from 2020. Yeah, we are now below. We're in pre-pandemic numbers now. Mm -hmm. Big oof. We are seeing, we are anticipating a full year decline of about 1% to 2%. Yep. Wrapping this up, accessories. Uh, spending increased 10% year over year to $289 million. Gamepad and headset growth are both double digits. Thank you, Black Friday. Uh, and DualSense Galactic Purple, according to the notes. <laughs> <laughs> it's my new, co- my new favorite color is, is purple. Galactic Purple. Uh, that was the best seller for the month. I kind of like that color, though. Purple. Not purple, like purple. Point P. Not point oh Purple. Oh, my God. Okay, we're moving away from this. Yes. And we're going to move into our next main story. Yes. Let's talk about Twitch for a second. And we're not dragging Twitch for once. No. 
We do a lot of dragging of Twitch on this podcast, but not today. Mm -hmm. Twitch has rolled out their new shield mode, which is a new safety tool to help protect streamers. It can quickly be turned on and off, unlocking a suite of tools almost instantly. They can be configured on, uh, on Twitch before using them via the channel page, stream manager, or mod view. So what they, what it'll do is you can set the channel mode to follower or subscription only set chat verification options to email or phone or both, mm -hmm. set your auto mod levels. Uh, according to Twitch, while shield mode is activated, you'll be able to input specific terms or phrases, then mass ban all the users who recently used those words in chat. That's good. Ban terms and phrases will reset after every shield mode session. So your community isn't accidentally impacted by older terms that are no longer being used maliciously. That's good. Exclusive to shield mode is the prevention of first time chatters. So it's to ensure that, you know, if you get hate rated and this mm -hmm. person has never spoken in chat before, you can just turn off their ability to say anything. Yep. And they'll get tired and go away. So why? We just said it. Hate raids. Hate raids. Yep. And I, I want to refer everyone back to our conversation with Wreck-It Raven um, last autumn. I believe we had this mm -hmm. conversation where we talked about day off Twitch. We talked about hate raids that had really started bubbling up in a really nasty way. And to be clear, the hate raids are not gone. They're still happening. Mm -hmm. They're still prolific. It's just that, well, we have to learn to live with them, which sucks. So I, I like, I like shield mode. I think it's good. I think it's a good first step. They did acknowledge that this is only groundwork. Yes. That they are planning on doing more, but it still puts the onus on streamers. It does. Not on the platform. And, and this is the kind of thing, until they say like, hey, if we're going to do front page featuring for you that we plan out that you have to be selected for, you need to have mods in there, right? You need to have Twitch mods yeah, that's in what there I mean. specifically because I mean, I have, I've been in a, on a mod team to to help various streamers that have been on the front page because mm -hmm. they were you know back when we were on a stream team mm -hmm. you know that was that was important to make sure that we were banning people and timing people out and all that stuff but like you have to staff up essentially for a two hour two hour plus mm -hmm. stream on the front page because it's immediate and it's an avalanche mm -hmm. and it's scary especially if you're a marginalized person all right. Well, that's what's going on with Twitch. I I like this. I like this, and it, that is, it's a step in the right direction. It's not enough, um, but they acknowledge it's not enough. Yeah, that's, so at least that's the that. important part. They know that there's more work to be done, and they're not just patting themselves on the back saying, "We did it, everybody. Let's go home and have a beer." Yeah. No, they recognize that this is not. This is the beginning, not the end. Mm-hmm. And it's time for Investment Interlude, where we talk about mergers and acquisitions and Activision and Microsoft forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And money, money. Money! But, yeah. but of course, what are we stuck talking about first? Microsoft and Activision. Uh, there's been a lot that's happened since our last news show. Uh, we know. This is the story. It's just not going to stop. Uh, so the UK Competitions and Market Authority has published both Sony's object objection to the deal and Microsoft's rebuttal to the CMA's Phase 1 concerns. So as we've already detailed, Sony's argument hinges on Call of Duty's success, calling the game, quote, irreplaceable for gaming platforms. Now, as a reminder, Microsoft has, and now confirmed, it was reportedly when I originally wrote these notes, but confirmed that they've offered Sony a 10-year commitment to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation platforms. Additionally, Microsoft signed a deal with Nintendo for those same 10 years. 
So there's now, it's not, not to say that Nintendo is going to have Call of Duty on its platform, but still. Right, but I think that that what's here is that if Microsoft does make the acquisition, there's a way to bring a Call of Duty Call of Duty games, whether those are the main games or something else, to Nintendo and commit that those games are going to be there. Yeah, for sure. So we know that that's confirmed on both. Additionally, and I know this is later in my notes, um, Microsoft has reportedly offered Sony. Uh, the opportunity to put it on subscription platforms. Now, remember, oh, the other wow, one, that's huge. one of the other complaints was that, oh, well, they're just going to put it all on Game Pass and they're going to they're gonna foreclose us from the multi-game subscription market by having Call of Duty. Now, I think it is ludicrous that I, a game even as big as Call of Duty being exclusive, like shutting the door entirely on Sony. Um, there is some shade in Sony's response. Saying, oh, yeah, definitely. Saying that if Call of Duty were exclusive to Xbox, uh, consumers would be, quote, forced to spend 450 pounds on an equivalent Xbox to play this hugely popular game on their less preferred device. Shady as hell. That's extremely shady. And especially, like, I don't understand how Sony has any leg to stand on considering their platform exclusivity deals. Right. And I mean, and this is like hot on the heels of like Final Fantasy 16, right? Right. Like... Yeah. Final I, Fantasy, the the single player experiences have always been, I mean, maybe not always. No, not always. But they have, in many recent years, within the last 20 years, mm -hmm. haven't they all been at least timed exclusives on PlayStation? Uh, did Final Fantasy 15 come out later on Xbox? I think, I think so, so yeah. yeah. It's definitely on PC. Mm -hmm. Didn't we triple dip? Uh, yes. We often do. Um... Anyway. Both companies, by the way, have raised prices now. Mm -hmm. uh, the the retail price on a AAA first party game from either company is now seventy dollars. So seventy dollars US. To seventy dollars US. Yeah, sorry. So it's um, eighty in Canada. Yeah, as far Sony. As I know. Sony said that this would harm nascent competition in cloud gaming. As a reminder, Sony bought Gaikai and did not move, did not take advantage of its it did not really do much with its first mover advantage for PlayStation Now. No. Um, Sony claims that Microsoft has an advantage in multi-subscription services. Again, we've we've addressed that. See above. Yeah. Um, there was a bunch of redacted data regarding percentage of user engagement attributed to Call of Duty on PlayStation, but says that Call of Duty is more than uh, has more engagement than all of Sony first party combined. Now, the reason for this is because Sony has been lagging behind in service titles. Remember, but they have Bungie now. They do. They do, and I think that 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 probably changes the calculus a little bit. But but Microsoft has been very in on service-based games, Halo and, and have Forza. Been for a while. And yeah, so I again, I think that that changes the the calculus on that. Um Sony was really shady about Battlefield. Uh, it's they said they claim that Call of Duty is not replicable. Quote, to give a concrete example, Electronic Arts, one of the largest third-party developers after Activision, has tried for many years to produce a rival to Call of Duty with its Battlefield series. Despite the similarities between Call of Duty and Battlefield, which, by the way, I disagree that the multiplayer is comparable. Those are two very they different games. They are not. They are completely different. Yep. And despite EA's track record in developing other successful AAA franchises, such as FIFA, Mass Effect, Need for Speed, and Star Wars Battlefront, the Battlefield franchise cannot keep up. As of August 2021, more than 400 million Call of Duty games have been sold while Battlefield had sold just 88.7 million copies. I have so many thoughts about this. Yeah. And none of which... I don't think they're relevant to this discussion, but it very... Like, can I just be real for a second? Mm -hmm. It very much feels like the approach 
is to talk about games in a way that makes it seem like they understand the differences between the two games without actually understanding the differences in both audience, development, gameplay style. You can't just compare no, two FPS. This was Sony comparing them, though. No, but that's what I mean. Yeah. This is playing to an audience that they know does not have full information. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's that's what it feels like. It's yeah. just like they're just trying to pull the wool over their eyes. These are these are apples and oranges. They I, might be they might be fruit, right? But you can't really compare the two because they do not play in the same capacity. Yeah. Look, I, I I am not. I don't believe that Microsoft purchasing Activision is all good. No, I don't either. But it, but who is it good for? I think it's good for consumers right now, and it's good for workers. Workers. What do we keep? ringing the bell about around here yeah. what do we care about we literally have an entire segment that we devised back in what 2020 yep um about labor well i think we didn't fully transition to the labor report until little... was it 2021 i think it was in 2021 i think like, it was we're 2021. like hey we're covering a lot of labor stories we should probably just identify have a labor this as a report. labor section yeah but like we care the most about how this impacts the workers and microsoft has a pretty solid track record especially since nadella stepped in and especially especially since phil took well, over we actually have a story later on in the labor report about this so hold on to that thought okay i will hold on to those thoughts yep um sony claims that nintendo's irrelevant to the conversation because they uh they it's they're focused on family-friendly games that are different from peggy 18 fps games like call of duty yes but Yes. That's not true. I know not it's anymore. Not true. It's not at all true anymore. No, it's not true anymore because I'd like to point them to the array of horror that's on the Nintendo Switch platform uh -huh. at the very least. Also Doom. I mean, the fact that Doom's on Nintendo Switch still blows my mind. Yeah, many Doom games, in fact. I, it still blows my mind. But Bayonetta 3 just came out, and that's rated M. Like I said, this very much feels like they're trying to pull the wool over other people's eyes that actually don't understand video games at all. Yep. Which is shady. Um, all of this really just hinges on Sony's claim that Call of Duty is irreplaceable and that this is going to propel Microsoft ahead because of Call of Duty. Microsoft has been in third place since the beginning. So here's what Sony says, and this is where I'll end the Sony section of this. They cite this, this I don't know, virtuous is the wrong word, this, this illicit cycle where uh, Microsoft acquires Activision, uh -huh. which forces users, forces users to switch to Xbox. Which then reduces Sony's revenues, which then reduces the amount of money Sony has to invest in games, which would reduce their ability to produce competitive first-party games, and then the cycle just continues. It's like, oh, you're trying to you're okay, trying okay. to like let the air out of our tire. Okay, but at the same time, there are still players like me that exist that don't play Call of Duty, and we still own consoles. Yeah, because there's other games that we play, like the entire marketplace does not entirely hinge on Call of Duty. There are other there are other audiences and market segments to to analyze. But but here's here's the interesting thing here. I think Sony has shot themselves in the foot a little bit by hinging this yeah, entire think. conversation on Call of Duty because all Microsoft has to do, as they did, and say, we'll make you a 10-year guarantee. You can put it on PlayStation Plus if you want. We think it, yeah, it's a great series. We absolutely love that series. We want more people to play it. Put it on your put it on your subscription platform. Pay us to it's, put it on your subscription platform. It's smart because again, it keeps their addressable market large enough yep. and it's Mike and I have been talking about this for years and I've been writing about it for years when you are more inclusive in your offerings whether that's through DEI and representation or by widening your addressable market to include platforms that you don't own 
you are ensuring that lots and lots and lots of people are able to play your game. It's good for the good for the players. It's good for the company. It's going to make you a lot of money. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to skate through kind of Microsoft's response because we already covered kind of the counterpoints right. here. But Microsoft points out the reality of Call of Duty, like Activision's share of console gaming, which is which is large. It's 10 to 20%. Mm-hmm. Um and it has 10 to 20% share of uh, monthly active users. But they only had two of the top 20 games in 2021 in the UK. So that's 18 other games in there as well from different publishers. Yep. Um, Call of Duty is regularly outranked in Sony Game of the Year polls. It's outranked on Metacritic. It's outranked in industry reviews. It doesn't drive social media conversations. It does which not. It does not. No, it doesn't. No. Because it's not notable or exceptional anymore. It's yep. just... A popcorn game. That's what you and I have always referred yep. to Call of Duty as. Mm-hmm. It's a popcorn game. You pick it up because it's your summer blockbuster and you want to play it because it's comforting. Yep. Sony claims that they wouldn't be able to compete without Call of Duty. Microsoft has a number of stats that kind of deflate that. Um, PlayStation currently has 2x the number of monthly active users than Xbox. They have 60 million more. Dang. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Most console gamers don't play Call of Duty, they say. That actually, that honestly, that would not surprise me because it's a first-person shooter and first-person shooters are meant to be played with a keyboard and mouse. Mm-hmm. That may be a controversial take. I don't know, but that I'm willing to die on that hill. Yeah, Microsoft has a couple of things which I, I actually kind of, I think these are fuzzier. Call of Duty doesn't drive platform adoption according to Xbox that. data. I, I, I think, well, I think that if it's true, it's true in the current environment, right? And if it, it was only available on Xbox, I think that would drive Xbox adoption. I agree, I, I don't think that Call of Duty is a purchase decision. Not for most people. For, for some people, people, I am sure it is. But I think that when people are sitting down, they are going to look at the exclusives that are available for that specific platform and ask themselves the question, mm-hmm. which of these platforms has more of the games that I'm that I'm exactly. interested in? Yep. Right? And if Call of Duty is in there, well, Call of Duty's everywhere, so great. Mm-hmm. But it's going to come down to other decisions, and lots of people, including us, in like in our our life before we moved to New Jersey, we made our purchase decisions usually around PlayStation. Yeah. We were a PlayStation household for a long, long, long time because they had better exclusives. Mm-hmm. I mean, and for someone who plays more single player than multiplayer, yeah, PlayStation drove a lot of. Yeah, I mean that's where I spent most of my last gen. Yeah, exactly. Same here. As I spent most of mine on the PlayStation Four. It's mm-hmm. not very often I was on the Xbox mm-hmm. One. Um, interesting. So Microsoft points out that when they had their marketing deal with Activision for Call of Duty, which meant they got DLC, uh, the DLC packs a month early. Right. Uh, right. Sony wasn't foreclosed. And additionally, this is a flip on the Nintendo conversation where Sony says, "No, Nintendo doesn't count because they're family friendly." Which, by the way, as we pointed out, isn't true anymore. Um, Nintendo and Steam have just done just fine without Call of Duty. It's because nobody needs Call of Duty. No. I, it's do a I single think, title. Yeah. I, and I, I think that it drives, I think that it drives revenue clearly. Yes. Right? It's a been significant the, it's amount been the number, of revenue. It's been the number one game in the U.S. for the last two months. Vanguard didn't do as well. I think it's also not nearly as reliably cyclical as it used to be. But I, I think that both of them are pushing to the extremes. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle that this is like acquiring... This and Call of Duty will help out Xbox, but not to the extent that Sony says. And Sony would not be foreclosed. Like, I, I think there's a lot of poor me going on here, and I do not understand it. Um, I'm having a hard time with that, considering Sony's stance around exclusivity. Yeah, so. and, I, and I think that that is just going to change the way platforms acquire exclusives. Mm-hmm. 
so there's a dispute about or a debate about whether multi-game subscription services are a separate market or just a means of payment for games. It's an interesting conversation. Oh. And I can see both sides of it. Yeah, me too, definitely. That that would be a very interesting conversation. I'd be interested in having yeah. that conversation sometime. Yeah. Microsoft says that because Activision doesn't engage with any subscription services, this actually doesn't change the market right now. So the, the, the way it is right now. So if it were to be added to a subscription service... Does that okay. really harm anybody? Like, does it harm consumers? No. No, of course it doesn't. No, it doesn't, it doesn't harm consumers because consumers get a better deal. Um, Microsoft throwing some of its own shade. Okay. Uh, says that because Sony is hamstringing itself by not releasing first-party games day and date on PlayStation Plus, that it's not even trying to do everything it can to compete with Game Pass. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Come. It was like, come Salty. back when you are actually competing with us. Woo! Yeah. Dang. So I think we've kind of covered everything. The, the key p- points are how important is Call of Duty? How are you going to define multi-game subscription services? And whether improving Game Pass is good or bad for consumers? Again, right now it's good, but we've talked about how we need to be very careful and monitor this. It really comes... I think it's always potentially going to be good for the player. Mm-hmm. What we care about on this show right. is not it, necessarily is the player. Exactly. Is we want to know if it continues to be good for developers. Because the moment it stops being good for developers, it, it, it's everything is falling. Mm-hmm. Um, how important Sony's current and historical position as the market leader is re- with relation to the deal is, mm-hmm. is a point of contention. Right. Because um, if Sony was making this acquisition... There would be some sincere arguments made for them protecting Call of Duty under platform exclusivity. That would be a real concern. Mm -hmm. And I would totally understand that. Yeah. Uh, Whether Nintendo is a meaningful competitor. uh, Again, the CMA was also there saying, oh, Nintendo just has family-friendly games. Which is not rooted in the past. It's not true. It's not true anymore. And how important cloud gaming is. And right now, I don't think the it's infrastructure's not. there. It's not. You and I You and I have written about this. We, have, we, wrote, I have, we wrote a white paper. We wrote a white paper about yeah. it a number of years ago. And I guess that was like, what, back all the way back in 2020? Almost yeah. three years ago. It was early 2020, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we did an, we did a lot of analysis into what would it what would it take for cloud gaming to really take off and what is holding it back now. And really, it comes down to global infrastructure around telecommunications. Mm-hmm. And fiber, right? Yeah. So uh, following all of this, uh, the Federal Trade Commission here in the United States filed its own complaint to stop the deal, um, which was came right after the Nintendo Call of Duty agreement, the Nintendo-Microsoft Call of Duty agreement. Um, but the FTC alleges that Microsoft can and will deny or degrade rivals' access to Activision Blizzard games, and they cited Starfield and Redfall, which are going to be Microsoft exclusives, at least on the console, right? Um, so the FTC said that that behavior invalidates Microsoft's comments to the EU. Now, uh, Steven Tatilla from Axios really dove, d- dove deep into it this was great. and it was a really solid read on this situation because the, the nuanced language of both the EU's approvals and the conversations around the Microsoft Bethesda acquisition and what the FTC is saying here, like they're not technically at odds with one another, although mm-hmm. at first read we can understand why people believed they were. Right. So essentially what the what Microsoft said, um, so here's what the EU said. Uh, the European Commission, talking to news agency MLEX, said the commission cleared the Microsoft Zenimax transaction unconditionally as it concluded that the transaction would not raise competition concerns. 
Microsoft said at that time that it would not have the incentive to cease or limit making ZeniMax games available for purchase on rival consoles. And this is what the FTC is, is focusing on. Because while they said they had no incentive to do it, they, in fact, are making that decision with Redfall and Starfield and potentially, who knows, Elder Scrolls Six. We'll see what happens. Elder Scrolls Six is going to be a very interesting one. Because you've got a franchise that has traditionally been on both consoles, except... We know Skyrim ran poorly on the PS3. Yep. Oh, bad. Yeah. So Oblivion bad. was a was a Microsoft console was an Xbox console exclusive. Also ran like crap. I disagree. I played a hundred hours of that and loved it. Oh, I'm sorry. When I say it ran like crap, I mean I hated Oblivion. So <laughs> Morrowind was an Xbox OG Xbox console exclusive. In no universe would I ever play Morrowind without a keyboard and mouse. Yeah. And a journal open right next to me so I could write extensively. Could, modding in a journal. Modding in a good journal is... is modding fun. in a good journal is the only way to play Morrowind, man. Yeah. Guess who just modded Skyrim for the fourth time? You know what he hasn't done, though? Played played more of Skyrim. Um, I like dragging. I like dragging. Oh, yeah. That. Everybody my in my house drags me for modding, for just wanting to have a modded copy as my security blanket. It's like, but what if I want to play it? Yeah. You won't, though. So this doesn't mean that the deal is dead. Uh, this is really pushing the boundaries of the FTC complaints. I think their complaint coming um, hot on the heels of the Nintendo deal, and then Microsoft saying, we offered Sony a 10-year deal. We're offering... Yeah, I, I can't remember if this was confirmed or if it was reported. Microsoft offering Sony to put it on PlayStation Plus, and Sony having not responded to that at this point. Like, you know, they're, they're taking every step to ensure, like, hey, we're gonna make sure... That this is uh, that this stays on on PlayStation. We're committed to it, mm -hmm. you know. So surprise, uh, you know. I don't understand what the deal is. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the FTC. It's got to go in front of a judge. It's not a done deal that this that this is getting shut down. Um, Bobby Kotick talking to ABK employees. I don't want to read anything Bobby Kotick said. Though. Nope, we're not going to. Yep. Because it's ridiculous, yep. as he often is. Yep. So Bobby Kotick sucks. End of that story. Yes. All <laughs> TLDR, right. Bobby Kotick is, is boss baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, so that was a lot uh, of Activision Blizzard. There's been a lot that's happened. A lot of changes going on there. Uh, we have one, two, three, four, five other investment stories, um, but we're gonna keep cranking on through the uh, through these and get through the end of the show. We'll get there. Won't be. We won't we promise. We'll keep it as short as possible. <laughs> All right. What's up next, Amanda? Uh, okay, we have an acquisition next. Keywords has acquired HelpShift, an AI-driven player support platform, for seventy-five million dollars. Key like listen, Keywords does a lot. They do a ton for the game industry, including like co-development services, QA, creative, and customer support. So HelpShift is going to be integrated into Keywords' customer support pillar. The deal was an initial cash consideration of $60 million with up to $15 million in cash and shares, depending on performance, over the next two years. Whew. That's a lot. I mean, I mean yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of money to be thrown around. It's a lot around. of money. Yeah. Keywords is serious. Keywords is enormous. Yeah. They have thousands of employees. Like they, they are all over the place and they have a union. Mm -hmm. Their QA workers in Edmonton that are embedded in Bioware have a union. Yep. We're so proud of them. Yes. Uh, Starbreeze has announced the opening of a new studio in the UK led by former Cindercone founders Tankard Dyke-Wells and Lawrence Bishop. Cindercone is behind the game Skeleton Crew, which came out earlier this year. The two founders also worked on Smoke and Sacrifice, Firewatch, and Great more. Great game. Uh, Starbreeze says the new studio will help the company expand beyond the payday franchise, working on two newly acquired IPs. What those what those two IPs are has not been disclosed. I couldn't find it anywhere. 
Um, but this is smart because we've been talking about Starbreeze's all eggs in one basket problem. It's true, but like there's still this part of me that looks at any acquisitions that Starbreeze makes or any studio openings that they're going to create. And I just, I get so nervous because yeah. of what happened all the way back in 2018. Like I know it wasn't forever, forever ago, but it was, you know, very short term in comparison to where they are today. They had to go through many years of restructuring to even get to the point where they had financial solvency. So I'm just, I don't know, I'm just concerned. I'm always concerned. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. What's next? So, I mean, this this next one is is your story. Oh, it's also mine. Uh, Everspace developer Rockfish, Rockfish, Rock, Rocky, Rocky Road. Wow, okay. Let's try it again. You're in rare form I today. I am. Uh, Everspace developer Rockfish has received 1.65 million euros from the German federal parliament in advance of the game coming out of early access next year. Funds will be used to support development of expansion content for the game, so they have hey. a roadmap ahead of them. Uh, also, Rockfish has hired Lee Gill uh, to lead communications and PR. Lee was previously at Evolve PR. Happens to be a really great guy. Love to see, see huge, good people getting Huge hired congratulations. Yeah, we, love, we love seeing good people doing good things. Yes. Speaking of good people doing good things, yes. it's Private Division's fifth birthday. Happy birthday, Private Division. Happy birthday. So Take-Two's indie label shared a couple of announcements. First, they've signed the medium developer Bloober team for a survival horror game. Ooh. Yeah. PD is also opening up a funds program to support smaller teams in the form of funding and mentorship. More support for smaller indies. Makes my heart so warm. Yes. It makes me so happy. Yes. Yay. And it is a big piece of why we took the jobs that we took. So... More on that in January. More on that in January. Uh, finally, I can't believe I get to talk about this on our show. I... Uh, honestly, I gotta... Okay. You talk about it, and then I'm gonna tell everyone how you reacted when okay. you saw the news. Okay. Uh, so this is, this is business, folks. It's all about the business. Uh, Splash Damage announced the strangest and potentially most exciting Transformers game ever, competing with High Moon's Wharf for Cybertron and Fall of Cybertron games. Currently, my two favorite. Yes, I like Devastation. Yes, I think it is the one of the better expressions of Platinum's character action approach. I love its G1 vibe. Don't get me wrong, but there was just something about High Moon's games that I just absolutely love. So they have announced Transformers Reactivate. It's a one-to-four player co-op game. And as much as I want to gush about this, it's not why we're talking about it. Okay, okay, wait, without, wait. Because I have to tell everyone what your reaction yes. was. So we were we were thinking that we were potentially going to go to the Game Awards this year. We're not going to go. We obviously didn't go this year. We're going to go next year. But we were sitting at home, drinking our beers. And when we saw the announcement trailer come on, the look on Mike's face. Well, hold on. Because for most of the trailer, first of all, it's like, oh, it's a really cool cover of Bon Jovi's Dead or Alive. And I'm like, what is this game? Is it like they're like looking at something like like RoboCop style, like looking at this thing and it's not it's not on and they're trying to get it working and what's going on? And then you see like, okay, there's these things flying through the air. And then I noted that when it pulled back into the landscape, I said, Michael, that looks like Cybertron. Oh, you did. I did because I noticed it first. You did, but I'm not sure it is Cybertron. Like I don't know if it's like future. I don't. I don't know either, but it looked like Cybertron. Yeah. So she's talking. I'm like, ah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I guess it could be. And then, like whatever it is that they're working on, like wakes up and stands up and looks down at its yellow arms and hands. I'm like, is that Bumblebee? Holy shit! It's Bumblebee. He got so excited and we were in our Discord, which honestly you should come hang out with us because our Discord is really cool. 
but we were hanging out in the Discord in our video game singularity chat where we talk about video game conferences and everyone lost it on Mike's behalf. Yeah. They're like, is Mike okay? We're checking on him. Is he okay? <laughs> I, uh, there were a couple of really cool announcements at the Game Awards, but this one... This, this one, one captured his heart. Yeah. So the reason we are talking about it on our business-focused podcast, not our Transformers-focused <laughs> podcast... Wait, should we have one of those? Uh, we'll have to get Dutesman. No, you guys will just sit around talking about Musou the whole Musou time. Transformers game would be quite good, Koei Tecmo, I'm just saying. Oh, uh, at some point recently, uh, exact dates, timing not really clear, Spla Splash Damage quietly acquired Battalion 1944 and the Turing Test Developer Bulkhead, which is making Transformers reactivate. Splash Damage is owned by Tencent. They were acquired almost two years ago, exactly. Uh, the project is being developed and published by the UK team at Splash Damage and Bulkhead, which combined have more than 500 employees. Now, my big question here is, is this going to be a free-to-play game? Or is this going to be, is this going to be a premium game? Well, I mean, given given what splash damage tends to do i don't know i don't know it could go either way but you know what before we well or rather in service of yelling about transformers for a little while longer we're mm -hmm. gonna take a break all right Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we're back. Hey, Mikey. Yes? What time is it? It's time for Quick Hits. It really is time for Quick Hits. It is. This is the last Quick Hits of 2022. It is. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty feeling good? Feeling pretty good. All right. I'm feeling pretty good about Steam Decks, honestly. Yeah. So now that Valve has caught up on Steam Deck pre-orders and is shipping them out pretty quickly for new buyers like Manda. <laughs> I got my Steam Deck. Yeah. Guys, I have my own Steam Deck. You know what I'm using it? You know what I'm playing on it? Potionomics. No. Uh, I'm Stella. Yes, actually, I did start Harvestella, but also Beacon Pines. Oh, perfect. it's basically my little indie machine. Which, quite frankly, all of my machines are indie machines. Nice. Yes. Uh, starting on December seventeenth, so just a few days from now, players in Japan, Hong Kong, South Korea, and Taiwan can begin ordering their very own Steam decks as well. Yay! Awesome. Uh, Netflix, which has been moving quickly into the mobile gaming space, pointy. Seems to be gearing up for oh, yes. like. <laughs> seems to be gearing up for Point P August things. No, that's not correct. Seems to be gearing up for uh, a AAA PC game. That's really strange, right? It's so weird. So this was originally spotted by Mobile Gamer. So the uh, streaming platform is hiring for developers that have quote experience with FPS and or third person shooter games and quote extensive experience working on live service games. Now, maybe this is for a AAA. Yeah. Maybe. But remember that you can have AAA experiences on smartphones these days and, and on tablets. Yep. And if they were planning on doing that and keeping it to mobile, I would be very interested in what that project would look like in a way that wouldn't destroy my battery life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the latest Pokemon games, Pokemon Jank and Pokemon Oof, <laughs> are the fastest selling games in Nintendo history. The pair of titles have sold about 10 million, sold about 10 million copies in their first week. 
Um, I'd like to thank Pokemon Legends Arceus for that yeah. uh, because that game was great. It almost made my personal game of the year, which it was beaten out by Immortality, mm. which is okay. But uh, yeah, Arceus is the reason why people went out to buy Jank and Oof, and I yeah. bet when they took them home, they're like, uh-oh. This is Janky and Oofy. Yeah. <laughs> What's next? The Nier franchise has has gone has gone quite far. Get it's it? gone quite far. Get yes, it? I do. Get it? Yeah. Yeah. Near, far. Uh, yeah. Wherever, Wherever you, you are. are. <laughs> God damn it. I hate that I live in your head sometimes. <laughs> it's a very comfortable armchair at least. Um, so the Near franchise has sold 8.5 million copies across all of its titles. The most recent major release, which was Near Replicant, has sold 1.5 million units. Yep. Sony, which is uh, about to suffer so badly from the loss of Call of Duty, has touted <gasps> that God of War <sighs> Ragnarok sold through a whopping 5.1 million copies in its first week. This is my fainting couch. (sighs) This is Sony's fastest selling first party launch and unsurprisingly a record for the God of War franchise. No, all seriousness. uh, All kidding. Congratulations. Seriously, congratulations. I'm so excited to play this. I am thrilled that it did as well as it did. We are cheering. We are cheering on Sony Santa Monica. Uh, Chris Judge at the Game Awards. uh, An absolute champ. He cannot be stopped. He's a legend. You do not play you off. You do not play off. You do not play Christopher Judge off the stage. You do not do that. No. And they eventually maybe had to a little bit. But yes. he was great. Yes. And we love him very much. Yes. Uh, Epic is doing something interesting. Yeah, talk to me about this. So they're launching this thing called Cabined Accounts to help younger players stay safe. So all players are going to be seeing this one-time request for their age when they log in. Younger players will be siloed into Cabined Accounts which will require further parental controls. Very interesting. Love to see that. That's smart. Yeah, it's a really smart way of handling it. And it's honestly something that's been necessary for a while. Seeing that they are taking that seriously makes me happy. Yes. Uh, And finally, Microsoft, as we discussed earlier, has confirmed it's raising prices on first-party new-gen games in the new year. Microsoft is the latest publisher to set the new standard at $70 for its first-party games releasing. Now, this is just for those that are releasing exclusively on Xbox Series Correct. X and S, I believe. If they are still, if there's uh, smart delivery, so if they're on both platforms, I think they're still going to be 60. Uh, but expect to see Forza Motorsport, Redfall, and Starfield carrying that new price point. Also, you will be able to play them on Game Pass on day one. Great. It's yep. better than what PlayStation Plus does. Yes. That very confusing platform. And those were quick hits. That was really beautiful, Mike. Thank you. It was the last one of 2022. Man. Doing a lot of lasts today. I know. And this is our last labor report. For 2022. For 2022. But don't worry. We'll be back in 2023. You won't be, you can't be rid of us. Yes. We are inevitable. So the first thing that we want to talk about in the labor report is. There's so much Activision Blizzard. There's so much. I feel like so much of both our labor report and the investment interlude, like it's just Activision. I'm so tired of talking about Activision. But the National Labor Relations Board has denied Activision's request to expand the Blizzard Albany vote beyond QA. Beautiful. That's good. good. It's beautiful. And the union vote has succeeded unanimously 14 to 0. But wait, there's more Activision. Raven and Blizzard Albany QA unions... Uh, the Game Workers Alliance are making their first big moves against Activision Blizzard. In a public statement, the employees are speaking out against bug quotas. So these are being included in, perf- in employee performance improvement plans as a measure of productivity. Amanda, you worked in software development. Can we talk oh, a little bit about bug quotas, please? Oh, my God. Okay. This is... 
I have to put my phone down for a second because I get, I get real mad about these things. So when I was in school and granted it was about a zillion years ago, when I was in school, we were always taught you should never work harder, only work smarter. Mm -hmm. Right. Part of that is creating well, well designed object oriented code that can be reused over and over and over again. And you can, instead of writing like the same lines of code over and over again, it's just in one place, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's good object-oriented programming. When it comes to the quotas of either lines of code or bug quotas, all that is is busy work. And it's nonsense because it requires... In like when you're, when you're in software, when you are a programmer, you should not be looking to inject more lines of code into your program. You should be looking to cut them out. Mm -hmm. It creates more efficient and effective code, yeah. right? Easier to maintain. It's easier to document and it's easier to change when you need to. It's the same thing with bug quotas. If, if you're coming back, like if you're receiving a piece of software mm -hmm. and you have to go through it with a fine tooth comb in whatever capacity you're going to, because remember quality assurance is not just about, Oh, I played this thing and it's broken. It's about putting it through its paces in terms of use cases, in terms of technical quality assurance as well, as well as just gameplay experience, mm -hmm. right? All of these things are really important within the guise of QA on, uh, on the video game side, having a bug quota, that you have to hit as a measure of productivity is bananas. Well, yeah, because it means you're incentivizing people to submit nonsense bugs. Yes. Or nonsense bug reports. Exactly. And, and it, it just, it's busy work for the sake of busy work. It's not honest. Programmers have to go through them. They have to weed them out. Cre it creates tension between uh, programmers and QA. QA, it gives programmer, it gives people that make things in code context right mm -hmm. this thing is broken but it it also requires a light touch yeah right and a, and a lot of very like customer service oriented ways of speaking to the programmers this is this is a relationship that should be harmonious that should be working toward the end goal of creating a truly stellar experience for the player mm-hmm creating artificial tension when there already is tension between QA and programming, creating artificial tension because of bug quotas and bogus bug reports is so entirely against what it really means to make. Right? Yeah. yeah it, it just, to, to me, it's such an egregiously like how to tell me you've never coded something without telling me you've never coded something. Right. This is this is all part and parcel of a cultural problem that the union's trying to address because there has been very capricious use of performance improvement plans, not as a way to improve someone's skills and make sure that they're performing at the level that the company needs them to perform for the good of the project, but they're being used as a way to essentially fast track somebody for termination. Oh, we put you on a PIP, you didn't you didn't improve, so we're rubber stamping you out the door. Right? Yeah. So that's not unusual and it happens in literally every industry. Yep. So the union is making demands about uh, about how performance improvement plans are being used so that there's an appeals process that, it, that uh, an employee can have a coworker of their choice witness it so they can present evidence that they've met expectations and be, and be witnessed. Mm -hmm. um, mandatory manager training on the concept of progressive discipline. Progressive the, discipline is such an important thing when you're a leader and you're, you're helping to ensure that people are working not working no but that are able to do their best work 
and be their best selves at work. Mm -hmm. It's so important. And they want clearer and more transparent communication. Like these are all reasonable demands. But again, this, this speaks to a culture issue at Activision where they're misusing common tools, uh, that are used to, that are supposed to be used to better the workforce. And, I and think the individuals it, in that workforce. Sure, absolutely. I think it goes even one step further than that. It further exploits America's unwillingness to move away from at-will termination. Man, that's a good point. Because in my country, at-will termination isn't a thing. Like, unless you steal something, which is like, oh, there is yeah. there is no tolerance for yeah, that. Yeah, there is... There is there are there's like I'm not performing up to my level for one, for one reason or another or the level I need to be mm-hmm. and then there is violating the law yeah violating the law or like being belligerent and horrible to yeah. like you know your boss or whatever and it goes sideways on you like I've seen it happen mm-hmm. but you can't terminate someone at will for any reason in yeah. Canada like that that's not how our labor laws work. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is an, a further exploitation of how at-will employment works in the United States, and it continues to ensure that there is a boot on the back of every worker that's yeah. always afraid of their job because the job market is so competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, all of this comes with yet another expose about about bad work conditions inside Activision oh Blizzard. God. This time, uh, Shannon Lau uh, from the Washington Post with a story about what's going on inside Diablo 4. Note that this was time to hit alongside the previews of Diablo 4, which Honestly, I was... is, that's, that's some stellar thinking there from a journalism perspective. It, it is. Uh, so, j- we're going to highlight just a couple things. Obviously, the link to this is in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Activision Blizzard hired a worker who wor- a writer who worked on The Witcher and Cyberpunk who tried to inject reportedly tactless and insensitive rape stories into Diablo 4. Oh, great. Cool. <laughs> Neat. On top of that, there was a series of unreasonable deadlines that have seen developers crunching as if it was baked into the production schedule. I'm going to, like, we're just going to lay this out real quick. This is a failure of leadership. It is. Crunch is not necessary if you plan accordingly. Sprints are not crunching. Yep. If you do sprints correctly, it means that you are pushing towards a specific deadline and then you ease off for a bit. And then you're pushing towards uh, a new deadline, but you're easing off in between. Mm -hmm. But with, by the way, with clear deliverables, a deadline clear with clear deliver- deliverables. With clear deliverables that you are that you are continuously working toward over time anyway. But if you're looking to meet a deadline or a, or a deadline that has very clear deliverables, whatever, those sprints sometimes are necessary. That is not sustained crunch. Crunch is when there is no end in sight. Crunch is when all you do is work. Crunch is unacceptable. It is not the way that we should be teaching young workers in Mm -hmm. in any in any form ever but this is what they come into yeah and this is what they learn and they learn that this is normal it's not normal it's not good crunch is bad and it is a failure to plan yeah therefore it is a plan to fail yes i like i like the way you put that um this one is really disappointing um we have talked about rod ferguson coming in we've called him the closer uh, we were so excited because because that's what he's been like he's really come in and helped um, write the ship on process and, and delivering games. Uh, according to the Washington Post sources, um, that Ferguson hasn't really been able to enact real improvement on the project, which has led to even further key staff attrition. So, oh my gosh. But here's the thing. I, I have to ask the question, is this, because, is this because of Rod Ferguson or because he was put up by management as, oh, he's going to come and make things better? 
when you had people who were already trying to thinking about walking out of the door because of but then think about that one passage that's in Shannon's piece yeah about exactly. about clout chasing and mm-hmm. name dropping and all that stuff and wasting time in meetings yeah honestly so, more meetings need to just be a slack message yes please um they talk about Activision Blizzard doing what they usually do, uh, using golden handcuffs to keep staff on. So, uh, stock that does invest for a period of time until after the game ships. Um, but here's the thing. If the Activision acquisition goes through, Bobby Kotick's writing checks that Microsoft has to pay. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, and according to sources, the lawsuit and turmoil have taken a toll. Quote, every single individual that we lost for whatever reason definitely was a huge impact said a former team lead on the project. And that was something that I don't think that leadership paid enough attention to and was very flat-footed about. They weren't very proactive about it. What this means is this is, again, the commoditization of labor and the commoditization of talent and expertise, where it's like, oh, well, we can just replace them. Well, no, no you, you can't. can't. You can't. The mythical the mythical man hour, right? The mythical right? man hour, yeah. Like, okay, to break it down in, in like project management and production Sometimes when you're in the midst of absolute turmoil and miasma in a, in a project, you believe that if you bring on one more person, mm-hmm. that you will solve the problem. But the problem is that you need to onboard this person or these people. And that takes so much time. And it takes an investment of time. It takes an investment of, um, of other company resources. But I mean, a person's not necessarily going to be up to speed for three months at the yeah, very it least. Is going, I mean, I can tell you, like, hey, we just started new jobs. I'm a month in, and because of certain conditions where I had to get up to speed on certain things very quickly, I am up to speed on those things very, very well. There are other things where it is still taking me time because there are a lot of things. This is a situation where anytime you start a new job, right, I don't know what I don't know. Exactly. And, and you have to have, you have to know how to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. But the the big issue with this is the mythical man hour, especially when you're producing a product, it just creates more problems. Attrition in key roles. And to be clear, at this point, they're all key roles. Every last one of them is key to the success of this product, of this game, of this experience, of this artistic expression. Mm -hmm. And losing people, it's all going to suck. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to, you can't replace people because it isn't about the people. It isn't just about the talent or what they can do. It's what they have done. It's what they do know. And you're losing it. Yep. It's so, domain knowledge. So what did uh, Activision do about this? Yeah, they ended up suing California over the lawsuit. <laughs> they, y'all, <laughs> why? Okay, so Activision says that the California Civil Rights Department, formerly the Department of uh, Fair Employment and Housing, has been withholding or delaying information about contact with the media and labor unions. Activision wants details on communications with the media and unions like the CWA. So Activision is accusing the uh, the Civil Rights Department of California Civil Rights Department of purposefully, purposely, sorry, creating hostile media coverage based on false assertions. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine. No, additionally, they, they did that all by themselves. Additionally, Activision Blizzard says that California's suit was improperly filed and unlawful because the CRD did not meet obligations to mediate a settlement. We'll see what happens. We will see. Yeah. I, I, mm, it just makes me mad. Yeah. It makes me mad. Uh, next up, a little piece of good news before we transition back to some not so good news. Yeah, it's a sandwich. Yep, it's a sandwich. Uh, Zenimax QA workers. 
That's about 300 testers across internal Bethesda studios are holding a vote to unionize. Woo! The studios included are all in the United States and include Bethesda Softworks, Bethesda Game Studios in Rockville, Maryland, Dallas, Texas, and Austin, Texas, ZeniMax Online Studios, id Software, and Arcane Austin. And because Microsoft has issued its labor neutrality policy, the expectation is that the Xbox maker will voluntarily recognize the union after the vote. I'm sure they will, yeah. These testers will unionize via the communication workers of America. Very nice. Just like, Just Raven, like Raven and Blizzard and North. And Blizzard North. Exactly. Love that. Very, very interesting. That's beautiful. More QA unions. Yes. QA is often the most derided. They're, they're the most derided in software in general, mm -hmm. but definitely in games as being somehow less. QA is everything. QA is everything. QA is everything. Without QA, your game would suck. So <laughs> stop saying QA doesn't matter. QA true. is everything. True. Okay. So we have a major layoff story. Yeah. This one was hard because um, this affected a friend of ours. So wildlife uh, laid off. There, there were wildlife layoffs as the company pivots away from non-mobile projects. Almost 300 people have been let go, including a dear friend of ours. And it's another enormous layoff in the midst of what is likely to be a year of downsizing in 2023. Mm -hmm. We have not seen even, I think this is the just the tip of the iceberg at this point. And I hate that. 2023 is going to be ugly. Yeah, I, I'm afraid you're correct. According to mobilegamer.biz, quote, the layoffs appear to be focused on wildlife studios in Brazil and Argentina and include staff from across the business. Roles made redundant include positions in engineering, UX, art, production management, or sorry, product management, game design, animation, data science, QA, recruitment, and business analysis. With all of Wildlife's investments in other studios, including the formation of Stellar Core, led by former Supercell and Seriously folks, so Supercell, Clash of Clans, mm -hmm. uh, Seriously is Best Fiends, um, this is a really, really tough pill, pill to swallow here. It really is because they are they their investments over the last couple of years have been quite enormous. Mm. Um, this feels very Activision Blizzard circa 2019, Oof. if you catch my drift. Yep. Oh, man, we posted record profits. Let's lay a bunch of people off. Mm -hmm. huh. How did that work out for you? Jerks. Mm. According to App Magic Data, Wildlife's top earning games to date include Sniper 3D at $296 million. War Machines at $162 million. Color Fee, $130 million. Zuba, $90 million. And Tennis Clash at $87 million. They are not hurting. No. Mobile is hurting in general right yeah. now. But they're so, not pivoting away from mobile. They're pivoting they're, away from non-mobile. Exactly. I feel like doubling down in mobile right now is a very bad idea. Mm-hmm. But what do I know? Well, I just do business analysis. Well, interesting that you said that because CD Projekt is shutting down its Pokemon Go-alike Witcher game, The Witcher Monster Slayer. I literally had no idea this existed. Yeah, I, I yeah. The I game will never be removed from it. App Stores at the end of January 2023. Servers will be shut down on June 30th, 2023. Fortunately, that means that the development team at Spaco is facing layoffs with some employees given the option to join CD Projekt. CD Projekt said, quote, the game did not reach our business expectations. Um, you know, look, Pokemon Go... We all remember phenom. that. Like, I, I we just all don't remember think... that first summer in yeah. 2016 where we were all sitting outside. It was in Ju it was the end of July, and I remember this quite quite vividly, and everybody was playing Pokemon Go. Mm -hmm. Everyone was excited about it because it was this magical experience that only Niantic could have created. Yep. And even Niantic's other attempts to to recreate that, the Harry Potter game, it just didn't work. No, because they're because it's Pokemon. Yeah. 
it's because of the appeal of Pokemon all by itself mm-hmm. because there's something so awesome about going out into the world and being like, where am I going to find this next Pokemon? doesn't matter. Like, who wants to do that with The Witcher? What does it matter with Harry Potter? Like, that's right. silly. Yeah. It's not even fun. But going out and capturing little pocket monsters, that's cool. Yep. Um, Avalanche, the Just Cause Avalanche, not the other Avalanche who's working on Harry Potter, Hogwarts Legacy. Hogwarts. Yeah. Uh, so Avalanche uh, employees are fighting for change after the studio hired a toxic employee. Oh, boy. Not, and, but not just, like, put him in a leadership role. Uh oh. Uh, so, Just Cause developer Avalanche thought it was a good idea to hire someone who was booted out of another company for toxic for alleged toxicity issues. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, IGN reporter Rebecca Valentine published an expose on workers uh, taking issue with the company's handling of the situation, which recently culminated in a public apology on the developer's DEI landing page. And the apology is vague, but IGN sources have told the story of what led to it. This is a great story, by yes. the way. Rebecca did a great job. It started with the hiring of an unnamed individual in 2021 into a leadership role, but as a contractor. This led multiple Avalanche staffers to raise an alarm over the situation. So this person obviously was publicly outed in another story. Uh, So, because that, to have... So, not named in the IGN story, I assume that the lawyers got to that. Um, So, leadership tried to calm staff by telling them they wouldn't have to work with this person because he would be remote. However, this year he started coming into the office, attending events, and holding one-on-one meetings with women <gasps> in the company. Ew. And then he was promoted. Of course. Uh, he has since re- resigned, allegedly for, quote, project reasons only, and nothing to do with the accusations from, from his previous workplace. One employee took their concerns public in early November. Avalanche fired back that they did a background check, but that, and that, it, but that included the third-party investigation conducted at the last place of employment. So they pulled in data from some other publisher's investigation as part of their investigation. That seems cool. Yeah. That's normal. Save a little bit of money, though. Uh, a week later, a town hall event showed just how upset employees were. They accused management of ignoring the discomfort, the hiring of the individual caused, frustration over the process. And it uh, turns out there were complaints about this person's leadership style at Avalanche. This led CEO Pim Hov. Uh, to admit, quote, we fucked up. In the wake of this, Avalanche is trying to make it right. They have hired DEI group Gender Balance to audit the process that led to the hire. Uh, Gender Balance touts its consulting style as bringing more than just legal considerations into focus. It's about the people. Yeah, as it should Um, be. IGN sources, though, in response to all of this, seem pleased at how it's being handled, with some noting that they hope Avalanche's new transparency and acknowledgement of what went wrong and fixing the process will serve as an example to other studios. And this is why Avalanche did not get nominated for a FAFO award. Yes. Well, yes. Yes. We'll get there, though. We have a listener question, though. We do have a listener question. Yes. So this is from uh, Philip Drobar. So the question is, besides the Xbox Game Pass PC, which doesn't include cloud, and Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, which includes PC console and cloud, do you think Microsoft will ever offer a cloud-only Game Pass tier? So in Philip's definition, it would only allow us to stream games regardless if it's on console, PC, or mobile, and it would not allow users to download or install games. So let's say they introduce this cloud-only tier. How do you think it might be priced? So I did a little digging. So Xbox Game Pass right now is $10 monthly. PC Game Pass is $10 monthly. Game Pass Ultimate is $15. So if you look at that pricing, I think that cloud could be... I, I put $5 here to start. But I could see them doing doing an intro price for 
I mean, they could do the $1 for X number of months thing again, but $3 to $5, I think is probably where a, where a monthly cloud-based service would be, but then potentially going all the way up to $7 when all of the other pricing goes back up. Sure, depends on Depends on how functional it is. I mean, I think we have to look at, at Xbox Cloud Gaming and all the other cloud gaming services is still in development, right? There, it's technology that has not been fully refined yet. No, there is still a long way to go with cloud. I think it is a very exciting... I think it's very exciting, mm-hmm. but it's it's not there yet. And yeah. it's going to be a number of years out until we see just what it's going to be capable of. Yes. All right, Amanda. Oh, man. Oh, uh, the last one of the oh, year. Oh, man. This is great, guys. Remember how I said that this is, that we, we, would, we had a couple of nominations for a FAFO? We didn't actually. We only had one nomination for a FAFO because Avalanche didn't actually, like, find out in a bad way. Yeah. Um, we have one. Oh gosh, guys, are you excited? I'm excited. Oh man. So this week we have picked out the person or company in the game industry that has t- tended their garden from small seeds of fucking around to a sequoia sized tree of finding out. This week we have a man who tried so hard to get the FAFO the first time and just wouldn't leave well enough, well enough alone. That's right, baby. We're talking about Sonic co-creator Yuji Naka. After being arrested for insider trading around the release uh, of Dragon Quest Tact, Naka has reportedly been the rare double Double arrested. arrested. It wasn't enough for him to profit off the secret info that Dragon Quest Tact was in development. Now, according to the Japanese publication Asahi, he also invested in developer A-Team, which made Final Fantasy VII the first soldier prior to the game's announcement. Naka and co-conspirator Tusuke Sasaki purchased a total of 221,000 shares for just under 250 million yen or 1.83 million yen. They earned millions off the insider knowledge that Final Fantasy VII, The First Soldier, was in development. The silliest part, The First Soldier didn't even last a year. Yeah, it's already been sunset or in the process of being sunset. It is. This deal was as well as uh, advised as Balan Wonderworld. And for that... Yuji Naka has earned his FAFO award. <laughs> oh boy. Oh. Man, that was a that was a trip. We look at this though. We did really good. We, we did really there's a lot in there and we got it in under an hour and a half, so I'm proud of us. Remember when our shows used to be like two hours, nope. two nope, and a half never hours? Happens. Don't 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 remember that, Amanda. I don't what do you Pepperidge <clears throat> Pepperidge Farm remembers. Shit. Damn. Curses. You know what though? That's it. That's it. That's it for the year. That's it for the season. We are we are all done with with virtual economy for 2022. For 2022. And we will be back in the new year at some point either the first or second week of January, probably the first week of January because yeah. we're going to be itchy. Yeah, we're going to be itchy. We're going to be itchy to get back to it. My my hope is that we'll have our trends piece up over the holidays so that we can put that get that out there, share it, say good things. I need to fix things. the website. You need yeah. You need I need to fix the website. website. I'm going to do that over the break. I promise. I'll, I'll give you a little hint though. Just a little preview because we watched the Game Awards. Uh, there was a lot of safety in yeah. those trailers. There was a lot of returning franchises and very popular genres and not a ton pushing the envelope except for Transformers. Um, also, Armored Core is back. Like, what the fuck? I'm so excited, man. Giant robots. Giant robots. Hopefully you don't have to turn the controller around to play it on the backside. That's bananas. Um, but yeah, that's it. This is the season finale of season... This is season three. three. Yep. We're moving into season four next year. It has been an incredible year. We are so we are so excited for the year to come. We are so excited to continue to be sharing all of this with all of you. And I hope that um, 
that you all have uh, happy holidays Absolutely. and an incredible new year. But in the meantime, yeah, uh, we got other stuff that we got to say. Yeah, so you can follow us on Twitter at Virtual EconCast. I am at Futterish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. Although I'm not, I mean, we're going to continue promoting the show on Twitter, but Twitter's turning turning into an even more of a cesspool and Hive is down and Mastodon's clunky. Basically, I, come hang out with us on LinkedIn. Yeah, on LinkedIn Discord. or Discord. Like, we're on Discord. If you don't have our Discord names, like, hit us up. We'd love to chat with you. Come join the community. Uh, we'd, we'd love to have you. Yeah, definitely. It's a good place to good place for the hangs. Yep. So you can subscribe to our RSS feed at our broken website, virtually. Like you can get to the website. You can no, listen to the podcast no, on the website. You can do these things. No, it's just the front page. Front page yeah, is the broken. Front page is not working. I don't know what's going on. I think it's a WordPress problem, as it often is. But failing that, you can also find us on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. Google Play, Amazon, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, uh, missing one. Pocket Sam, last time of 2022! Ah, oh no! Yeah. Got everywhere. <laughs> Sam, the beach gets in everything. Oh my gosh, that's the worst. Crack. Michael! What? Anyway, if you enjoyed our particular brand of silliness, um, we'd love it if you would subscribe. And if possible, on your platform of choice, we'd love it if you would review the show and let us know what you think. Yep. Uh, thank you so much to Philip for sending us that listener question. We absolutely love Send listener us questions. More listener questions. We love them. Yes. And as we are able to talk more about our jobs and what we're doing and the kind of cool stuff that we're engaged with, um, you know, we want you to ask us questions a little bit about what we've learned too, because we want to share our, our learnings. That's true. Um, so you can DM us with those questions at virtually concast but uh, send them to us at podcast at fsquared.biz or on discord if you're yeah drop to... them into the virtual economy uh discord yeah discord. absolutely yeah we and even if it's even if it's something like light that we can just answer right there we're always glad to answer questions true true and uh and that's it that's that's it if you need that's a discord invites uh hit me up on uh hit me up on the twitters yeah when mike is there vaguely i am also yeah. there vaguely but not all that much it's really depressing yeah, it really is. I like LinkedIn now, apparently. Yeah. Apparently yeah. I do I do a LinkedIn. So in the meantime, between now and when we see you again, remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Uh, happy uh, ho festive holiday season. And uh, ha happy new year. And um, um, stay warm and, and drink cocoa and throw snowballs, and go sledding, and give hugs, and smooches, and... Wait, I can do that right now. Uh, ah, happy Bye. New Year, everybody. Take care.